All right. <laughs> so I located Richard Diaz at his secret lab, and the people want to know, Richard, where did all of this come from? Where did the run flow come from? Where did you come from? How did you get into a life of fitness in 25 years of studying people in a lab? You know, I told you this is probably going to take too long. <laughs> um, we got to know, man, as long as it takes. All right, well, look, uh, I guess full disclosure, if we really want to dig back, um, I made some bad choices early. Um, let's say my lifestyle was a little edgy. Wait, was or is? Was. <laughs> um, and I made a decision that I wanted to start becoming more fit and kind of chased that al along the way and, and uh, got into riding a bike first and then I started running and was, you know, set a goal to run five miles and then, you know, I would, didn't know what I was doing, didn't know how to do it. I just knew that, okay, this is five miles if I go around this loop and I'm going to need water. So maybe about two miles in, I'll set a jug down so I can pick it up. And so progressively I got to a place where I thought, okay, I'd be absolutely happy if I could run 10 miles. I'm 200 pounds. I'm a big guy. If I can make 200 pounds, go 10 miles, and bring what, the. What age are you at this point? Um, geez, I was probably uh, just about 28, 29 years okay. old, yeah. and uh, then uh, moved to Hawaii. Um, everybody there is healthy, and started to you know ride my bike to work and ride my bike further and further and. You know, challenge, okay, I can go this far on my bike, and then I started running, and then I could run that far. And uh, I ended up running a half marathon, and then uh, my roommates convinced me to run a marathon. So 1981, I ran the Honolulu Marathon. Yeah, Honolulu Marathon. Ran it again in 82. Um, got to a place where I could run pretty comfortably. My times weren't bad. My 10K time wasn't bad. Um, but that was just about me, right? And, you know, fast forward, left Hawaii, got to the States, you know, just got a job doing job stuff, right? Um, and I, 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 I take it back, I just left out a big ingredient, which was I put on triathlons. <laughs> I got to that a place where I, yeah, <laughs> I ended up doing a triathlon and uh, we ended up uh, putting together the Maui Triathlon and we did that for a few years. and ended up producing the first pro race for CBS Sports in 1984. Um, and so triathlon was a big deal for me for a long time. Um, on a whim, with a job, making some jokes with some guys I worked with, I said, look, there's a health club for sale. Let's buy this, you know, we'll collectively we'll buy this and we'll have a place to train. So, you know, before we go to work, we can train, whatever. And these guys were like not having it. They just thought I was crazy. And they started giving me all the reasons why I couldn't buy a health club financially and the rest. And I made it my mission to go find out whether I could or I couldn't. Ended up um, taking over a YMCA. This is in uh, 1988. This is California? Or in California okay. now. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to cut through some of the jazz. Yeah, yeah. So ended up with a health club. Um, and uh, this is before there was actually personal training as we know it, you know, where you'd actually pay the trainer opposed to what was like in a Nautilus club where you go in and there's the guy that's paid by the hour to walk you through the circuit, make sure you knew where to put the pin and whatever. And uh, 
I started to realize that, well, you need to help people when they come to your health club and show them how to exercise. And all I knew about exercise is what I did for myself. Running very far, riding very far, physically capable of doing a lot of things. And I just started exposing people to exercises I might do myself. And I got into this rhythm where I would take a person through a workout and turn around and they're lying on the floor, dizzy, you know, wanting to go out. I have to walk them outside, sit them on the curb, go get a Coke to give them some sugar <laughs> and almost kill somebody, you know. And it was, I just had never thought, well, what's wrong with you? Why can't you do what I'm doing, you know? It, it wasn't a, a function of bravado. I just was kind of taken back that they weren't physically capable to do the things that I thought were just normal, normal. stuff. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I started to delve into training and being an, an owner of a health club, I felt like I needed to know more than everybody that worked for me. How do I know whether I'm hiring the right person if I don't know really anything about exercise? So I started getting involved in the education of training uh, and started attending URSA conventions and all these club industry conventions for health club owners. And I came across uh, a booth where they were doing VO2 max testing. I'd never seen anything like this before. The guys were wearing lab coats, the girl, you know, pretty girl on the bike and, you know, had the mask on and the whole thing and I, I was intrigued I'm like what are they doing you know what what are you doing he goes well see this he goes we can see how much sugar she's burning how much fat she's burning and what her heart rate is when she's doing all this and and I was like wow that's really cool and when we told me what it cost you know obviously it was uh, a problem it was expensive and so but I never let go of it and uh, ended up closing the club and building a new club and in the second club, I borrowed a bunch of money, and I thought, you know, one of the things on my checklist is I'm going to get this cart, and I'm going to learn how to use it. So I started studying cardiometabolics and uh, cardiovascular system and just really entrenched in learning as much as I could about this process. Got to know some people that were in the business that did this kind of work, and they helped me along. And then I started testing athletes and testing people in my gym. And then I ended up doing the same kind of work professionally where I was testing professional teams. I used to do diagnostics for the LA Kings professional hockey team. I would go through 52 hockey players in a day. I did that through th for three years. Anaerobic power testing, aerobic power testing, providing reports to the team. I started working with different athletes, coming back to running, which I knew, and triathlon, which I knew. And it's just one thing after another after another led me to another place. It was never an intention to end up where I am. It wasn't like I was 15 years old and said, well, when I grow up, I want to do this. It just, one thing led to another, and, and here I am. It's, you know, some Evolution. Yeah, 25, 27 years later, I've been doing this a really long time, and, I, and I, I'm still fascinated by the work. I still study daily and try to learn as much as I can, not because I need to, but because I want to. It's, it's, if, it, if it makes me not another dollar, it doesn't matter to me because I'm just passionate about what I do. So yeah. you asked me. Yeah, so I met you about a decade ago, yep. 10 years ago. And I was the athlete, you were coaching. I was organizing a race. We met at an expo somewhere. Right. Um, you brought me my, in your lab right. and just showed me everything that I don't know and all the problems that I had in efficiencies and whatnot and how to get faster, which ultimately came to fruition, got so much faster. Come to find out there's still so much to learn. Um, As did I. Yeah, right. But one thing, I, I actually apprenticed under you for a while, I would say, for, you know, for years. You and have. I learned so much and would always 
struck me about you was you had this ability to take information that you had learned wherever you've learned it and then put it back into your own writings. Um, this new book you have, Training the Dark Side, it's the latest example, but you've always had this ability to put this information together and put it back out to the world. And so um, I've always been curious, do you have a profession or do you have any sort of um, formal writing <laughs> education? Or oh is it my just God. Because like, it flows, man, so, you know. I, I, I am probably the worst critic. No, I'm not, my wife is, uh, of my writing. Uh, I had never thought, well, you know what, I'm a writer. I suck at grammar. I've been fortunate in that I've had some very talented people come behind me to clean up what I've written, uh, make it sound grammatically correct. But the raw stuff is terrible. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just write what I'm thinking, I write what I feel. And early on I, I, I wrote what I learned from other people. Uh, this recent book is me writing what I learned from myself, which is really unique because you know, we all learn from someone, right? There's, there's no unique information. How to run, that's not something that I taught myself. This is something I learned from others. Uh, understanding the physics and taking it a step further and making it my own, yeah, I did that. But just through experience, just more time and tenure, spending time watching people move, getting a grasp of what should happen. You know, grass is green, sky is blue. These are irrefutable knowledge. Um, and so based on that, building on that, um, but I've always been fascinated by the cost of work and the efficiency in which we move. And uh, this book that you're talking about took me four years. It was a struggle. I had a really, really hard time bringing it to fruition. And I think I've told you, I wrote it three times, almost 90% through and scuttled it completely three wow. times um, wow. because it just wasn't working. I just found myself just regurgitating things that I've learned from others. And that's the easy way out. That's, that's what most writers do, is they heard something that sound novel, something that seemed to make sense to them, they, they gravitated towards it, and then they spun it off into their own words. And I'm, I'm guilty of that, I've done it myself. And uh, this time I just wasn't comfortable doing that. And I worked really, really hard uh, within my own to figure out what it is I was trying to create and why and what difference it would make to people if they were to follow the information. And I really, truly believe that I, I landed on it. I think that uh, there's probably room for some new iterations of what we're doing, but you know, your testament to the fact that it's working. It's what's working. I can be a testament to that for sure. So I want to ask you this. I was, you know the, the, um, the Paul brothers, Logan Paul, Jake Paul? Yeah, 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 writers, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I heard Logan Paul talking about this idea that there's one event that often happens in someone's life that ends up defining their entire life. For him, it was fighting uh, Mayweather, right? And it was like this defining moment in his life. Um, and I've always respected you as a coach and your knowledge and you're so bold at, at identifying the problem and then this is what you gotta do to fix it. It's just, you've been very clear about what your intentions are with your athletes. But something recently in this whole new book, I feel like something's, an evolution has occurred that is so massive that when I hear you talk about it, I'm like, how can we take this to the entire planet? It's that big. <laughs> Do you think that this, for you and your career, could be like one of those defining moments? Like the, 
the arrival of where you've taken it? Yeah, so for me, it, it was definitely that, that uh, aha moment uh, when I finally kind of concluded what it was I was trying to get done. And uh, in the book, I even shared that there was this moment in time where I released this information for the first time to a group of people that had paid to see me. And uh, it was scary. It was scary because I, I didn't know how they were going to take it. Yeah. And so I try to appreciate their end with that dry erase board and I'm creating this infinity symbol with my, my magic marker on the board. And I'm just doing this and they're looking at me. He's finally lost He's it. He's freaking <laughs> lost his mind. And then I started to explain what it was that I was trying to create. And it was quiet. You know, nobody, you know, started laughing or nobody started to like, well, wait a minute. You know, I never got any of that. And when it was all done, I thought they're trying to be polite because uh, there's no way that they could possibly understand what it is I'm trying to share. And uh, so I started quizzing people after the fact and they said, yeah, you know, it's, it makes perfect sense to me. And if nothing, be logical, right? And so I felt that uh, what I've kind of concluded is a logical conclusion. It's, it's like it just makes sense. And it's almost like I can't believe someone before me didn't think this through. Yes, 100%. And uh, it took me a long time to get there because, there, and I think this is what's wrong, is that we're clouded with information that came before. Um, in running, let's just use that as an example. In running, some of the greats, Arthur Lydiard, you know, what he did with uh, programming and, you know, the whole concept, uh, build a big base and have a greater peak, you know, that's novel, it's a cool idea, uh, but it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it, logically, you want to develop an aerobic base if you're going to try to run long or if you're going to be an endurance athlete, but it should not be segmented. It shouldn't be you do this first, and you do this after that, and then you do this after that. But it lines up so neatly, mm. and it's easy to, to digest, yep. and people want to be told what to do. And so it worked. It worked for a lot of people. I had always had a problem with it. And even in the for early book that I wrote, I talked about the difference between linear and nonlinear periodization. Mm. And nonlinear periodization, you know, a guy threw his hand up and said, well, wait a minute, why would you invest 10 weeks in something where three weeks later you're just gonna, just, you're just gonna destroy all the benefits that you gained in those 10 weeks? That's just, you just wasted 10 weeks of your time. And that struck me as like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. But me taking it a step further and say, well, if all of these ingredients are important, why would you leave any of them off the table at any point in time? Right. You know, and so you start looking at the needs, what's important relative to task, and that preeminent concern, but all these other considerations need to be in place. You still need your fitness. Yeah. As testament of doing a VO2 a moment ago with an athlete that's planning to run, or has been running 200 mile ultra distance runs. Yeah. And having had tested her 10 years ago, completely different animal than she was 10 years ago. Used to be a way anaerobic activity uh, type of uh, athlete, and now she's completely contrary to all of that. And now she's got to go back to this rebuilding phase. Um, and, you know, we're explaining to her that now, time and space, we want to interject all these other elements that you've been leaving off the table. And so you become more complete as an athlete. And that would seem like, well, who would argue with that, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> who would argue with that? Yeah. It's like you've been leaving things off the table for 60% of your training. Yeah. And, but you expect they're just going to be there for you. They won't be, they have to be built, right? And just developing the energy system in the way that we, we constructed in the book. 
you know, I, I believed it to be an important approach. You're not the only one that I've had go through this process and come back to me and say, I cannot believe how much more capable I am, how much faster I am, how much more recovered I am, and they're able to produce greater performances with, in some cases, less work, which is, I think, what you told me. Yeah, and the, is the physiology that we're talking about is, like you said, it's like, it's so simple and it seems so obvious. How did nobody think about this before? But then there's another element that I think would love to hear your take on is how, A, that you call it flow training to begin with, like that concept of, of being in flow and a flow state and flow with yourself, that whole perspective of, of the mindset behind it, because you're not just saying, hey, bring all of these ingredients in to every session you do. You're also saying, be, let it meet you where you are. Actually, for the first time, be in tune with what you need on that day rather than have it dictated to you from a plan. So like, I think it's like these two, two components coming together as one that really make this, to me, next level. Well, going back to me drawing this infinity symbol on the dry erase board, that really doesn't mean anything more than to change your mindset. Rather than thinking in linear terms, like there's this obvious progression, you do this, then you do this, and you do this, and you do that, you know, that's easy to digest. But taking a little bit more liberty, depending on your perception a little bit more, to identify the way your body's responding to the things you're exposing it to. And so that should be non-linear. It should be in a flowing process where there's no beginning and there's no end. There's just this process that you're in complete connection with, you're attached to it, and you're spending a great deal of the time in training paying attention to the responses your body's providing. And then you start to marry yourself up with those efforts. And so identifying that we need to go through all these processes, we need to be anaerobic, we need to be aerobic, we need to go for power, we need to have speed, all these elements that you're trying to chase down, as you start to inject them into your daily tr training, based on uh, what it is you're trying to achieve, you never have this, this situation where you say, oh, sh I forgot that I should have been doing this, or I should have, how many times have you heard somebody say, well, I should have done more speed work, or or yeah. I didn't get enough. I didn't get enough of this or yeah. that in their training yeah. after after the, they failed a race, yeah. right? They never really, you know, made sure that all the the bases were covered. Where mm. the flow training provides for that, it, and it you know as we you heard me say to uh, Lauren when we were talking to her earlier, is that the first thing I want you to do is start paying attention, start paying attention to the responses you're getting, but expose yourself to a variety of responses. Yeah. Let your body feel what it is, you know? It's like, I, I use the analogy of getting your hand closer to the flame. You know, initially people would go, oh, that's hot. And they just get away from it, right? Yeah. So maybe some of that heat was what you needed. Right. And you just never gave it a chance, right? So we're kind of like getting a little closer and finding we could spend a little bit, a little bit more time closer to the flame without being burned. The scenario here would be like lactate production or lactic acid is that we've always looked at this as the, the demon. Yeah. Avoid it, you know, stay away from the lactate. And then very, very, you know, sprinkling amounts of time right at threshold. You don't want to go too far over threshold because if you do, you're going to get burned, right? Where uh, I think that you need to expose yourself, but not structured. You don't want to say, well, I need to spend 10 minutes as close to the flame as I can get. Yeah because you may just come home just completely burned up. Right? So you get to seven minutes, you're like, that's what I got, you pull it back. 
maybe you revisit it and you do end up at the 10 minutes but in a different way yeah well you might find that just through the progression of exposure you're able to expose yourself to greater and greater depths yep. of of this assuming danger that you were afraid of before great and, example i was in colorado doing one of the flows and something in my head of like doing three minute intervals. I go out and I'm at elevation, so it's, it's hurting. My heart rate's super high and the pace is not what I want. So I'm like, all right, I got 5K back to my, my house and I'm just gonna lightly push on the way back. So I, I just don't have it today. I ended up running 15 seconds per mile faster than my 1K splits before in the intervals. And, and I held it the whole way and my, my heart rate calmed down. I, I basically sort of, by releasing the expectation it sort of reset the system. And it's funny the things that happen even physiologically when you approach it from a different perspective, even within a workout, you know? And I mean, if I look at my training cycle now, that's sort of like a great analogy of my entire cycle because that's how I'm looking at all of my training. I, I adjust things constantly based on like more rest or, you know, what do I, do I actually need to take two days off in a row, which you often prescribe, these blocks of recovery. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a game changer. Well, emotion plays a really big part in all this process, whether you want to believe it or not. And if you go into something with great expectation, and as it's starting to roll out, it's not trying to occur, just the stress of understanding that you're not accomplishing what you set out to accomplish makes things worse, right? That is massive. Yeah, so you start to get out there and you start to realize that, oh man, this isn't working, you know, and what do I do now? And maybe you just scuttle the whole thing or whatever. And, you just put too much expectation on yourself. So the concept of flow as well is just to get out there and you have kind of a loosely written script. You're saying, at the end of the day, I need to spend more time aerobic today, but I do want to visit some intensity and I do want to visit anaerobic activity and when and how I do it and for how long I'm going to do it, that will, that will bear itself out. Yeah. And so you're paying attention, right? Yeah. So you're running along and things are feeling pretty groovy and you're aerobic and you think, you know, now's the time. Yeah. And you make a move and you punch it up. Maybe you drop the hammer for about 10 or 15 beats per minute. Things are still pretty cool and you're, you're, you're judging, you know, you're like, how am I doing? Is this okay? Yeah, I think I'm going to ditch it. I'm going to back off for a little bit, but on your own terms. And then you start to find yourself recovered and you say, you know what, I'm going to try it again. And the next time you go out, maybe you produce more speed, maybe you produce uh, more work for less effort, that's epiphany right there. You're going, wow, yeah. I just was able to do better than I did a moment ago. Yeah. And that gives you confidence. As you yeah. start to, that win that you're starting to experience is tied to your, not your expectation, but your emotion and your perception of effort. You're just, okay, this is agreeable. Yeah. I'm going to go with this. And then you start to learn from that. And don't discount the fact that your central nervous system is paying attention to all of this. And it's deciding whether you can or you cannot. And when you tie emotion to it, the stressors in your emotion can affect it as well. Mm. So, and I told you today that one of the things that came to me just a couple days ago was feel. Feel is important. We know fundamentally what we're trying to get done. We want to focus on how we feel, right? Mm. And, and then, then we want to flow. So we tie all these considerations together. I want to be paying very, very close attention to the way my body's responding to work. If you get out there and you're thinking about, oh, I've got to go you know, call that client when I get home, or I forgot to go grocery shopping yesterday, or, or even worse, you run with somebody and you get into some conversation that's completely 
um, aside from you're just trying to not think about what you're doing, yeah. which is what a lot of people do. Yeah, dissociate so, completely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's music. Oh, yeah, yeah going yeah. down the road. There. I'm not running. I'm not running. I'm not running. <laughs> so they they do. They disassociate themselves mm -hmm. from the work. And the training should be a function of this is my time to embedder myself in this activity, right? So whatever it might be. And if you start to distract yourself from those concepts, you, you really shouldn't expect to see much but greater performances over time. You just won't. Yeah. I, was, uh, I saw a quote from Molly Huddle as one of the pros in Boston this year. And it was something to the effect of a suggestion that she had for people in training. And it was, don't worry so much about the, the mileage and the, you know all of the different workouts and hitting everything. Like, if you need a little bit more rest, take a little bit more rest. And essentially her quote was like selling run flow, you know? And, and it was like, but the thing is, is like, even with that thought, when you go back and you apply it to a traditional training plan, it, it doesn't fit. Like you're still, when you go back into that traditional training, like you, you either did or you didn't hit the workout prescribed. And so it's like, uh, the beauty with the run flow is that it's, it's, it's all of it together. Like you have this comprehensive approach and new way of integrating running into your lifestyle. And I mean, I can tell you, man, I like recovery is faster. I've done more trail, uphill, hill repeats, long road. I've done more of all of it and at the same time more recovery. The only thing I've done less of is mileage because the reality is I, I've needed more recovery. You know, so I mean, it's, it's a gift. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting uh, approach to doing things. I, I, while you were talking, I was thinking about people that have scheduled a track workout. Yeah. This is the bane of my existence. <laughs> so somebody had told them, I need you to do 10 400s on a minute and 20 with 45 seconds recovery or something like that, right? And I'm just throwing numbers out. Yeah. So you pop off the first one, you know, you barely scrub through the 45 seconds to recover. And uh, so the next time around, you know, you're not making the number. So now it's a minute 30. And, and uh, so next time you're gonna work harder, right? Yeah. So you have this whole frustrating experience yeah. with the workout. Maybe you don't even complete it. Maybe you only got eight of the repeats because you weren't allowing yourself the recovery your body required. You weren't capable of producing the times that you set out to produce. And just the whole thing is just bastardized. You just screwed the whole experience up for that for that track workout. Yep. No wonder when somebody offers up, hey, let's go to the track today. And they go, yeah, you know, yeah, my, hamstrings, <laughs> yeah. my hamstrings are kind of bugging. Yeah. And because A, they, they never gave consideration to fundamentals the way they should be moving. They're just bent on trying to beat the clock. Mm. They're bent on trying to beat the clock in recovery. And they dispatched all of the concerns that they should be focused on. And it's just, it's uh, an exercise in futility. I can tell you, I was doing track workouts every week for eight years. And I have no desire to ever go back to the track. And I mean, if someone, I would do it, but I don't need it. And you know, we run fast basically every time we run, and I just don't need a track to give me permission to hit those high intensities. And I don't need the, the comparatives and the, you know. Well, I, mind you, I don't have a problem with track workouts. Yeah. I just think they need to be approached with fundamental intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. So I may, I may, I have athletes I work with and I'll bring them to the track and I'll say, okay, we're gonna do some 400s. I'm standing there watching them. And if the speed starts to get in the way of their form, we stop. Yeah. Let's correct the problem. I want to see them capable of recovery because everything was in place. Yeah. 
And if they're not ready to recover, they need to spend more time recovering. Yeah. So I might give them a benchmark heart rate that they need to achieve before they can go into the next interval. I have no problem with sustained efforts like that. You may take it another step further and maybe throw in some aerobic conditioning early. Uh, you may even do some shorter high intensity stuff. You may flow it into the track workout. So yeah. maybe the first 400, your goal is to stay aerobic and then you know, we're gonna inject some shorter and higher intensity work and some longer and less intense work, uh, but it's all measured at the track. Yeah, It's fine, it's, I mean, I, it's like being on a treadmill. You yeah. know, the treadmill to me is a great place to- It's a great tool. To yeah. take care of your fundamentals. Yeah. And, and not only yeah. that, but if, you're, if your goal is to run a mountain race, there's nothing more relentless than setting the elevation at a fixed yeah. distance or height and a fixed pace it's not going to give you a break and yep. it's not going to slow down for you. Yeah. So if you decide that I'm going to go for two hours at 15% grade at 10 miles per hour, <laughs> that, you know, That's, it's, yeah. it's going to hand it to you. Yeah. So I, I have no issue with those kind of workouts. Yep. I'm just saying conceptually on the broad stroke, there needs to be a great percentage of the work should be dedicated to this perceptive educated work. Yeah. So I've, not said it during this interview, but I back most of what I do with my clients with clinical information. Yeah. Like today, we found out what her th new threshold was. So we know when she starts to get beyond that heart rate, she's starting to dip into her lactate, how much lactate she's dipping into. And so we're gonna start governing accordingly. And so, you know, she may find that she's pretty cozy at 140 beats per minute for five minutes, but not seven minutes and she'll intuitively come back down and get a gulp of air. But we start to know, where, we need to know where things are so we can start to measure whether we're improving. Yeah. How much time can you ex be exposed to X heart rate, which yeah. is cost, right? Yeah. So I, I don't discount those concerns. Right. I don't want to make it sound like, well, we're all just no, kind of- free, free flow. Yeah. 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 No, yeah, that, that's a big misconception is that it's just just do what you want when you want. And it, there's, a, there's obvious elements of paying attention to what your body needs but it's not without the science and the, you know, understanding well, otherwise you the don't know. Systems. You don't even know. I mean, you, if you don't have a measuring stick, it's like, uh, I'm gonna go just, I went out and ran for two hours today and it felt great. Yeah. <laughs> so at what intensity were you right. running? Right. And if you replicated it tomorrow, all, the only thing that you have to measure is your pace and time, what it cost you. Yeah. What did it cost you to run that, that same, because let's say I, I wanna run an hour, 10 miles, right? and you pulled it off today, but you never looked at any metrics. You don't know what your heart rate was. And so let's just say hypothetically that it was 170 beats average. And then the next time you tried it, you accomplished it because in your mind you're thinking, I know I can do it, I'm doing it again. But the next time you do it, it costs you 180 beats per minute mm. average. Yeah. So something's amiss. Right. You had to work harder to achieve the same end. Yeah. So if you keep chasing that, you could maybe make greater and greater mistakes trying to trying to at least hang on to what you've achieved. Right. And so then there's gonna be a, a payback where eventually you start to decline in your ability to produce the work. Yep. You know, so now, now it's an hour and 10 minutes at 185 beats per minute, yep. right? Because you just screwed the whole energy system up. So start with the VO2 or heart rate analysis. I mean, I think that's a great oh, yeah. place to start because then you understand what, you're, you know, right. what your systems are doing. Well, and even if you have to work perceptively uh, or based on some equation, um, 
incidentally, you know, in the book I talk about 180 minus your age and why that's a pretty conservative and pretty good place to start. Yeah. I had a client here yesterday who's been following the, the flow cycles and doing the same thing. And based on those predictions, his heart rate was 139 beats per minute, uh, aerobic. And come to find out that he could he can get as far as 150 yeah. uh, and still be highly aerobic. Yeah. So those were opportunities missed yeah. in my mind. Yeah. But uh, clinically, we were able to achieve it. And now the fitter you get, I feel like I've noticed that my, obviously, threshold's bumping up so I can get away with more. Or maybe not. Or it could be that your threshold's dropping a little bit, but your, your capacity efficient. to uh, tolerate that lactate's improving. Right. And so that's a, also kind of a false positive because mm -hmm. you start identifying that, wow, when I first tested my heart rate at threshold was 160, now it's 140, but you're singing in the rain at 165. Yeah. Because you're so cozy in that exposure to that lactate and actually drawing so benefit from it. you're still highly anaerobic, but you're... Not, but it's not okay. Trouble. Yeah, exactly. but it's okay. Yeah. You know, and so that's the hard part for people to digest. They don't want to believe that, because they want to believe that that's the devil. Being anaerobic's yeah. the devil. Yeah. Well, it's just a different part of your energy system, yeah. and it's a function of whether you've developed the capacity to use it or not. And that's kind of what's pro. If I tested you again tomorrow, I would almost bet you that your threshold's maybe a little lower. Your VO2 is a little mm. higher. Interesting. Um, but your capacity to support work at those higher heart rates is there. Yeah. So that. I'll take it, right? Well, and the last test I had, as soon as we went anaerobic, I was like, how long do I have to hold on to like have some pride? Yeah. And now I'm, because I spend every workout, now I'm up to, you know, 20 minutes is my minimum that I'm doing of anaerobic in a workout. It's like, bring it on. Like, how, how hard could I push? So, so question, we started with sort of your, your beginnings from late 20s. What's, what's the future? I mean, what, what's sure. going? What's what's next? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I know I know that I want to to write again, and I never thought I would. And it's it's very hard for me. I, I have friends that write. They spin books off left and right, and they're they're amazing at the at the work. I'm just not that good at it. I'm just not that good at it. Uh, and I I have to be. You know, I know artists that um, they can't produce until the moon and stars line up for them. Yeah, I'm kind of like that. Just because I know I want to doesn't mean I can. I, things have to happen for me um, inside that just says, you know what? Here's what we want to do, and then I start embarking on it. Sometimes I'll I'll bump into it and and fail. It's just not working out like I hoped, and sometimes it starts to lead me down a path. But I don't know that that's the end game. I think that uh, I've had a lot of people come to me and ask me to mentor them, teach them what I do. I actually had a guy come to me with a business plan <laughs> and told me how I was screwing everything up and that based on my knowledge and what have you, that if I taught people to do what I do, financially I could be in a far greater place. It was interesting. I said I visited that before, and uh, it it just didn't bode well. But now I'm looking at probably producing something online that I can do with video, and just in, you know step by step by step by step the elements that I think are important to know yeah. in order to uh, achieve this end. Yeah, which Whatever is sort of the be. modern day fitness club, 
right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, because people had, yeah, you know, they're more and more doing it at home, right? So, well, so uh, just the the logistics of trying to draw people to you, yeah, uh, and they got to travel from far away, they got to stay in a hotel, and um, this guy's plan was, he said, look, he goes, you're going to charge ten thousand dollars a head, and your marketing machine's going to keep you in cycle where you're going to go through a process of guys and another process of guys and another process of guys and uh, he says you're going to you know give them a lot of information that they got to learn on their own and then they're going to come spend like a week with you and during that week you're going to walk them through all these different nuances and whatever and I thought shit that sounds like so much work yeah and I'm so old <laughs> I said I don't know I don't think I have that in me anymore yeah, man. yeah. I don't think I could do it but uh, I've been toying with the idea of doing like an, an online education and uh, I started it, and I created an outline, but it's going to need a little bit more support. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I know that I'm going to continue to do the clinics I do. Uh, I've got a clinic coming up October 1st. I'm going to move, and that's going to expose me to the eastern part of the country where I have a lot of people I've worked with, and they're eager to, to have me do something there, so I'm sure I'm going to do that. But I don't know. I mean, uh, I know I'm not retiring. I, I've Financially, I can't retire. I have to continue <laughs> to beat the drum until the drum beats me, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know. Well, whatever you do, man, it's uh, every time you open your mouth or... I yeah, put my foot in it? Put your foot in it. Either <laughs> way, man. It's, uh, <laughs> it's usually helping somebody, you know? So, yeah. Well, thanks for the time, man. Yeah, it's good uh, to know where, my pleasure. where Diaz comes from. Yeah. So now, let me throw it at you. Okay. Guru running. Guru running. I mean, in a way, guru running kind of answers your question. Because, you know, a big thing for me after experiencing RunFlow, even before, you know, being introduced from you to RunFlow, we started Guru Running really to flip traditional running on its head. We just felt like with my, all of my and my wife's time in, in the running world, in the brand world, it was just sort of like it's the same kind of crap. And a lot of people look at running and they just, they look away. They're done. Like, they, it's, that's not me. I'm not a runner. And, and these, a lot of my friends too, like people that are, my comrades, they're, they're like, ah, you're a runner, I'm not a runner. But yet, we'll go to a gym, we'll lift weights, and then we'll go run a couple miles. So it's like, all right, well, am I not a runner too? Or are you, or are you a runner now? And I think we always wanted to, like, to change the narrative. Like, you don't have to be doing certain things to be considered a runner. Or just, just scrapping the whole narrative, as, you know, to begin with. And so when it, run flow came into the picture, it was like, this is exactly what we're talking about. This approach changes the way any athlete interfaces with, with running. Whether you're a soccer player, whether you're a crossfitter, whether you're a runner-runner, it's, it's a different approach. So we adopted it fully. Guru Running, I mean, the way we see it is Guru Running really does deliver run and flow in, in all of you know, the methods that you are, not just that you've created, but evolving. Um, and so, yeah, it's a delivery system for run, run flow. Well, world. first of all, uh, in keeping with what you said, I don't like to be labeled either. Yeah. I don't, I would not, I meet somebody and we go to dinner. Matter of fact, tomorrow, Saturday night, we're going to dinner with some people I don't know and it's going to come up. What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> and whenever somebody asks me that, I pause because I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. Because I feel like I'm doing myself a disservice if I told someone, well, I'm a coach. Yeah. You know, that already puts in your mind, if you don't know me, a guy with a clipboard, yeah. you know, by the, at the high school with the kids yeah. or, or something, you know. Or if I said I'm a run coach, 
that also labels you, right? Yeah. And I, I just don't feel like I'm any of those things. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm a lot of those things, but I'm, I'm not just those things. Yeah. And I think that uh, it's a function of lifestyle. We know that we're trying to remain as healthy, as, as viable as we possibly can for the entire of our lives, right? Yeah. And running is a great vehicle to keep that in check. Yes. Um, not to suggest that lifting weights isn't a way to do it, or riding a bike, or doing an obstacle course race, or playing soccer, whatever. Uh, you wouldn't meet somebody new and say, um, I, I am a soccer player. Because then everything else in your life that maybe is even more important or, <laughs> or more interesting has just been dispatched. Yeah. Right? So I don't like to be labeled. I, I wouldn't label you as a runner. Yep. You've been successful as a runner. Yep. But that's not who you are. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, and I, I just think that uh, the concept of run flow uh, and guru running is trying to embrace the whole person. Yeah. Right. We're not. Yeah. We're not trying to stick you in a box and say run like me. Yeah. Exactly. We're saying we we get it. You're yeah. you're, you're trying to stay healthy. You're trying to embrace life, and essentially this is helping to guide you along that path. Yeah. It's funny because that in the idea of labels and labeling when you talk about the different people and what they're bringing to the table, we're talking about you and it's like well well you know how do we how do we give credit to Richard? It's like, what, because he's, he's not a writer, he's not a coach. It's like, he's a, he's a scientist. Because <laughs> you <laughs> tinker, crazy man. You, I mean, people who tinker and you like, you have a hypothesis, you test it, you, you know, like whether, whether you're a PhD, whatnot, educated, whatnot, like you're, you're a scientist in your approach to things. And you like, you, you have an idea and then you test it. And I think regardless of everything else, like, from Goo Running, that's the way we see it. Is Richard Diaz is the sports scientist behind the Run Flow, and and you know, I mean, this is your concept, this is your method. But if you change tomorrow, we're going to be listening, and I think that's the most important thing. Is that you know, these things might evolve over time. We learn new things, and and here we are, and we have. And ten years ago, we were not talking about this. So, whatever. Whatever happens, it's like you, you pay attention to the people that you know are also paying attention. Well, you know, on that note, it's like someone having a, a shingle on the wall that says they're a PhD in XYZ, whatever, that isn't an exclusion from anyone else to learn. I have, I don't know how long it takes to get a PhD in, depending on what, what, what the practice might be. You know, let's call it 10 years. I've spent close to 30 years honing my craft, and never really, I mean, I've got certifications in this and that and the other thing, but they don't mean anything to me. I don't walk yeah. around with them like a badge of honor. On a wall. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, so people could say, oh, yeah, okay, that's who you are. Right. Oh, so you did that. That's yep. who you are. Yeah. You're the run guy, yeah. right? And, I, and I, I think it's kind of fun because when I have people that label me as the run guy, I'm thinking, you clearly haven't gone through a strength workout with me. <laughs> yeah. This is the guy that had a vibrating plate under the deadlift rack for like, that was like a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. so it's like, and you know, there's other things I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, hell, I'm a bike fitter. Who thought yeah. of that, right? Um, it's the applications, they don't define you. Yeah. They don't define you. They, there's process. I, I just really am passionate about the things I do. You ask me what I'm going to do 10 years from now, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll learn how to write. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure your editors would appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they'd be out of work. All right. Well, anyway, that was cool. I appreciate the time we spent together. I'm dragging it on. And thank uh, you, man. Thank really you. Appreciate it. Yep.